Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, thank you for tuning in to the Firetime Podcast. I think that this is going to be an amazing episode, and I am so thankful that you're here. Now, as we jump into this, I'm just going to let you know that Season 2 is just about over. We are coming down to the finish line. And looking back, I just can't believe all the amazing content that we've had. I'm just floored when I think back to everything that's been covered in this season, and I hope that your business has gotten some serious value out of it. Now, over the last few months, I've been traveling a lot, giving presentations and classes and talks all across the country to our industry about sales, marketing, leadership, and some of the changes that are coming down the pipeline. So one thing I wanted to do in this episode was kind of pull back the curtain to what I do when I travel and speak. And so today's episode is actually going to be a presentation that I gave in Kansas City not too long ago that's called Make It Easy, How to Sell More by eliminating customer confusion. And I'm excited to share this with you because this topic in particular is so close to my heart. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm so passionate about making things easy for our customer so that your business can win. And I really hope that you enjoy this presentation. Now, one thing I just want to tell you is (laughs) I get pretty excited when I speak. I mean, like right now I'm probably at about a six or a seven, I really get into an eight or a nine in this presentation. And so when I get really intense, I don't want you to think that I'm chastising you or like I'm saying your company doesn't have anything figured out because that's not the heart of this at all. What my goal is for this presentation is to open up all of our eyes to how the consumer experience has changed in the last 10 years and show us the opportunity that's out there if we're willing to rethink our customer experience around simplicity, clarity, and speed. And so I hope that you get a ton of value out of this. We'll come back and talk about it at the end, but this course is something that I am so passionate about. I am just convinced that every day we are confusing customers out of buying our fireplaces all across the country. And for the companies who can step up to the plate to rethink their customer experience and their process around making it easier for the customer, those are the companies that are going to win. I know that you can be one of them. So I hope that you enjoy this presentation. We'll circle back and talk about about it at the end. Without further ado, here is my course, Make It Easy, How to Sell More by Eliminating Customer Confusion. What we're going to talk about today is the idea of making things simple. That right now, there is actually a serious problem that's happening in our industry. It's happening at the manufacturer level, at the distributor level, and at the dealer level. But the problem is no one is talking about it. And it's because... We've been doing things the same way for many, many years. And there's a lot of good things with that. There's practices that have built all of our businesses up. But we have seen a change in consumer behavior and the way that the landscape of business is being done that's affected everybody. And so what we're going to be diving into today is how to simplify what we do and start making it easier for people to buy from us. So in today's course, there are going to be three things that we get to take away from it. And so number one is that this course is going to help you cut out all the noise in your marketing that's confusing customers. Whether we like to admit it or not, the truth is that our businesses are confusing customers out of buying our products every single day. So we're going to talk about why that is and what we can do to help get around it. Number two is we're going to talk about how to reframe our messaging so that we only are talking about solving a customer's problem. 
So all of us have customers. Again, whether we're working for a manufacturer or a distributor or a dealer, we've all got customers. And the truth of the matter is that the only reason customers come into contact with us is because they have a problem. So if we're not throwing everything that we have into dissecting what that problem is and what the solutions are that we can offer, it's just white noise and it doesn't make a difference to them. So we're going to dive into that messaging part of it. And number three is we're going to talk about how to create tools that sell. If you're a sales leader, if you're, if you're running a sales team, very often we send our people out to the wolves and we don't actually empower them to do their job. And I think we can all talk from experience that if we have tools that make it easier for us to sell things, we sell more things, don't we? Isn't that the truth? I see some smiles here. So number one, as we, as we go into this, there is a serious problem in our industry. I mentioned that at the very beginning. And we, we are really confusing customers out of buying our products. This is an epidemic with hearth companies. And very often we don't realize it because we're product experts. We understand all of our terminology. We think our websites make sense. We think our brochures make sense. But the truth of the matter is that they don't. And, and a lot of the collateral and marketing that we're putting out for customers is not spoken in a language that actually makes sense to them. And on top of that, the consumer experience has changed significantly over the last 10 years where Amazon and Uber have started to disrupt the game. And I think that we're all feeling the effect of that to some degree. I mean, don't you all have customers coming in, checking prices online, and they're asking how quick you could deliver, and they expect, expect everything yesterday? Am I the only business that has that happen? I'll take it by the chuckles that I'm not. But this is just the world that we live in. And I don't hear this being talked about as I travel to the different affiliate meetings and at the national level. I don't hear this being talked about. But we have to realize that we have a serious problem. And the sooner that we can start to address it in our own businesses, we can actually take advantage and win in the landscape long term. So I want to share an inspiring quote. You guys know there's, there's always inspiring quotes that you look at in the morning that get you out of bed. For me, this is one of them. Buying a fireplace is difficult and confusing. Have you guys heard that quote before? Have your customers ever, ever said that to you? So I've heard this a lot. And if you look at who is it that said this, it was everyone always. Buying a fireplace is actually extremely difficult and extremely confusing. Like we don't understand how hard it is to buy a fireplace because we're in it every single day. But if you think about the consumer experience, and, and you take a, another consumer good, like a car or a dishwasher or like a, just a consumer appliance, you know, what's, what would be the process on a dishwasher if your dishwasher broke? You do some research online. Maybe you want to go see a local dealer. You go check out the models. You buy it, and 48 hours later, it's installed at your place, right? Are fireplaces any different than that? <laughs> John's laughing at me. Obviously, they are different than that. But do our consumers know that? No, in their mind, I can get a dishwasher installed 48 hours later. Why is your stupid fireplace any different? And you think about the, the journey of the customer. We're going to get into this deep in a second. But you think about the customer's journey. How hard is it to even get an estimate on a fireplace? Right? I mean, you start out going to a manufacturer's website that's totally confusing. And then you go to the local dealer's website that's even worse. And then you go drive to a couple dealers that are hard to find. You talk to a sales rep for 30 minutes and you ask for a price. And they say, well, hold on. We're going to come out to your house and we'll give you that estimate in the house. And how long does that take? Two weeks. Okay, so two weeks later, someone shows up at your house and hopefully they show up on time. And how long does it take to do an in-home estimate? No. Hour. So they spend an hour at your house and you ask, okay, well, pay perfect. How much is this going to be? 
And the estimator goes, well, let me go back to the office. I'm going to crunch those numbers, and I'll get them right back to you. We think this is normal. But is there any other consumer good that is anything like that in our lives that we buy? This is, this is what we live in every day. So we have to realize that we are selling a product that is confusing and difficult for customers. And that's okay. That's part of the reason that we haven't been disrupted yet. But we have to be very aware that this is just the reality that we face. But we get blind to it because we're in it every day. We think it's normal. So jumping into why this has changed. The reason that this is such a big deal now when it never was before is because of companies like Amazon and Uber. That, that they've changed the game for everybody. I mean, if, if we audit all of our consumer behaviors, I think that we can all admit that we buy things on Amazon. Is there anybody in here that doesn't buy anything on Amazon? One. So, but for everybody else, I mean, Amazon has become part of our lives. And why do we use it? Convenience. Convenience. Easy. Why else? Fast. Cheap. Yeah, so I'll tell you a great story. Easy. I'll tell you a great story about, about me. I needed to buy an HDMI cable. Actually, two of them for my house. And so, you know, first thing I did, jumped online, checked my local Best Buy, saw that they've got them in stock. So I'm like, perfect. So I'm not going to get them on Amazon. I drive down to my local business. I mean, not a local business, but brick and mortar business. I go inside. The salesperson was absolutely no help. They pointed me towards HDMI cables that cost like six times as much. And I asked about the ones that I found online. He goes, no, 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 we don't carry those in the store. And I'm like, okay. So uh, I, I ended up buying these cables because I needed them. And I'm walking back out, you know, paying literally six times more. I get out to my car and something doesn't feel right. And I'm like, that is so weird. So I go back into the store, talk to a different sales associate, and those cables were sitting right there. So I returned the cables that cost six times as much, and I got my regular ones. And I left that store thinking, next time, I'm just buying this on Amazon. I mean, why on earth would I go back to have that experience? So Amazon and Uber have changed the game. And what they've done is they've made speed and convenience the new expertise. Didn't we just, those two words I think just came out of our mouths, right? Fast, easy. And we all know that this is the case with Amazon. And it's the same thing with Uber, where I'm assuming that you guys ride Uber, Lyft, or you know, whatever the, the ride-sharing service is. But what's the reason that you use Uber? Convenience. Convenience. I mean, does, does anybody want to support their local cab company by standing out in the rain for 30 minutes, you know, flagging somebody down when they can hang out in the restaurant, have another beer, and wait for the driver to show up. So these things aren't, aren't bad or evil. And, and we can complain as much as we want about big box stores and online selling. And, but you know what? If we audit our consumer behavior, we freaking love Amazon. We love Uber. And there's no getting away from that. And it, it's okay. So the, the goal of the presentation today is to talk about how Things have changed. The consumer mindset has changed in the last 10 years, and speed and convenience have become the new expertise. Where if you're not fast and if you can't make it easy, you're no longer an expert. It doesn't matter how long you've been in business. It doesn't matter what you know. And if you think about this, is there a, a better cab company somewhere in the United States than Uber? Probably. There's probably one that has better service. Are any of us ever going to use them? No, we're going to use Uber because it's easy and it's fast. Therefore, it makes them an expert. And our consumers view us the same way. So as we slow things down and as we make it confusing for them and take a long time, we actually start to lose our credibility as an expert, even though we're, we are fireplace experts. We know a lot about things that could burn someone's house down. But this is the landscape that we're up against. With this as well, the rules of advertising are changing. I mean, in the last 10 years, if you look at you know, just how many ads we get blasted with every single day, you open up your smartphone, your computer, and I mean, what is it, like a, a billion ads that start to hit you. So 
there's data that says we're hit with over 3,000 consumer ads per day. There's other statistics that say five to 10,000, but you figure at least 3,000 ads a day. So what's happening is that we are losing relevance in the way that we advertise because people are being blasted with so much information. And so what our brains are doing, our brains are wired to do two things. One is our brains are always trying to conserve calories. They don't want to burn too much energy. And number two is our brains are looking for things to help us survive and thrive. This comes from a guy named Donald Miller. And what he talks about is that when you're being blasted with 3,000 plus ads a day, your brain is having to make instantaneous decisions. Will this help me survive and thrive? And if it's not, I'm shutting down so that I'm, I'm going to conserve calories. So cute and clever ads that used to be done in a traditional way, TV, print, radio, whatever it is, they're starting to get tuned out now because our brains are forced to start making the stuff white noise because we, if we focused on every little message, we'd never be able to get anything done. Our brains are really smart that way. The last thing is that we are fighting for relevance. Because we're in the digital age, the information age, our competition is changing. Where We're going to get into this later in the presentation, but your competitors are not the guys down the street. They're really not. When people go to your website, they're not checking out your website versus the competitors to see who's is better necessarily. In their head, they're judging is your website as good as the Lexus website I was just on? Is it as good as Amazon? Is it as easy as that? And again, if your website is not fast and easy for them, they don't think you're an expert regardless of how good you actually are. So I know that this has sounded very negative so far. We're going to get to the positive. But I really want to drill down on the fact that the consumer experience has changed, and we have to get a handle on that. We're going to go with a little bit more negative first because I really want to knock this home. So if you think about the average consumer journey and what most hearth companies are doing, most hearth companies, number one, confuse customers with their website. There's no other way to say this, and I don't care if you're a distributor, manufacturer, or a dealer. Most hearth companies are confusing customers with their web page. A part of that is that most hearth companies are using confusing insider language. Can you guys think of any confusing insider language that gets used in our industry? Liners. 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 IPI. IPI, yes. What else? Insert. Insert. What else? BTUs. Okay, so we just threw out, we're going to get to this in a second, but I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands. Do any of our manufacturers print this insider language in their consumer facing brochures? Do any of our companies organize our websites by this confusing insider information? We're going to let that point sink in by itself. Next is that most companies are only talking about themselves when it comes to advertising. They're not talking about the problems they solve for the consumer. They're just bragging about how good they are. And we're going to get into why that doesn't work. But this is part of the normal customer journey. The next one is that most health companies are making customers jump through all kinds of hoops just to get an estimate. I mean, we just talked about that you know, a little bit ago. Of you got to drive into the store, wait two weeks for someone to come out to your house. They spend an hour at your house. They go back to the store. They crunch the numbers. Hopefully, they remember to send something to you. And two and a half to three weeks later, you get an estimate. And there's, there's no other consumer product that we buy on a regular basis that is like that. Now, I'm not saying fireplaces aren't complicated, because they are. I'm, I'm not undermining that. But that goes against the normal consumer's expectations. And we have to be very aware of that and delicate in the way that we address it. The next one is that most health companies have a complicated buying process. So... You know, again, if you're, a, if you're a distributor and you're running an early year special where if you buy this many, you'll get a point whatever multiplier. But then if you order 50% you know, more by two months from now, then you're going to get free freight that is through December. 
That's complicated. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, when manufacturers and distributors bring me their pre-season programs, not joking, I throw them in the garbage. I don't look at them because I, it doesn't make sense to me. And I got so much stuff going on. If I can't understand it quickly, then I'm going to throw it away. So I literally, I throw it. I see, I see some heads, heads nodding here. I, I throw it away. And what I do is I'll call my rep and say, look, I'm not going to read this crap. If you want to come into my office and explain it to me, I'll give you 30 minutes and we can talk about it. I'm picking on distributors and manufacturers, but I can pick on dealers too because I'm one of them. And as I say this, guys, I'm pointing the finger at myself too. But the truth of the matter is that when we sell a product to a consumer, I mean, how many trips out does it take to install a gas insert? You got the initial install. Hopefully, you're pulling a permit. And then you're probably going to have to go back up and fire it off. And maybe there's a final inspection that you do. But with a lot of these jobs, you're talking about two to four trips to get it done. Now, again, I'm not saying this is bad, but... Very often, consumers, after they purchase, are like, wait, wait a minute, there's a permit? Someone's going to come into my house from the county? What do you mean you have to come back out another time? The point being is that it's a complicated process. And so often, we're like, well, you know, we're going to take 50% down up front, and then at the installation, we'll collect another 25%, and then we'll collect another 25% after the light-off's complete, whatever the model it is. The point is, is that it's, it's a complicated buying process, and this is what our customers have to deal with every single day. So... When customers go through all this, this is what's going through their minds. I think we've all seen consumers in our stores that feel like this, right? I mean, isn't that the truth? And, and now sometimes, the best part is that sometimes they'll come in and they're like, hey, I've been to four other dealers. Everybody else is terrible. Can you please just take my money? Have you guys ever had people like that coming into your store? Okay. As much as we don't like to admit it, though, there's probably times where they're leaving our store, going to a competitor and saying the exact same thing. That this is the normal consumer experience for our products. Whether we like it or not, this is the normal consumer experience. So what happens is customers feel confused. They feel frustrated. They feel stupid. Customers feel totally ignored. And they feel like giving up. This is the normal customer experience in our industry. And the result of that is that we lose more jobs to indecision than competition. So let that sink in. We are confusing more customers out of buying a fireplace entirely than are actually going to buy from our competitors. And the reason this is true is because we audit this hard. And I'm telling you, you know, there's a lot of things we do good, but we are still on this journey. When we started auditing this four, five years ago, we started finding out that we're losing jobs four to one to indecision. They didn't buy somewhere else. They decided to put the project off. It was too complicated. Ah, you know, it's just more than we bargained for. It just seems so difficult. We didn't want to get into it. Have you guys heard this from customers before? Yeah, we changed our mind. That's right. So this is what we deal with every single day. Yeah, I didn't realize it'd be this hard. This is, this is par for the course of what we hear. So we've talked about the problem, and I, I want to go deep on this because all of us are in it. And, and, and I know what this is like. So for me and my journey, I've been in the industry now for about 15 years. I spent time as an installer, as a service tech, and in sales, and then in leadership and management. And so the company I worked for, Fireside Home Solutions in the Pacific Northwest, they hired me about six years ago. They had an empty warehouse, and they said, build a showroom, hire a sales staff, and start running this as a division of the company. And so for me, all the things that I'm talking to you about are things that have, have helped us, but it's just been through stubbing our toe and then figuring out, well, wait, how can we not do that again? 
you know, and then we'll go a little bit further. We'll stub our toe again. So I don't want to come at this from a perspective of saying I've got it all figured out because I don't. I'm on, I'm on the journey. You know, I'm in this every single day managing stores in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle and in Portland. That being said, what we're going to talk about today has made our company millions and millions of dollars. It, I mean, these are things that will work. And so hopefully you can start to apply them. Again, don't feel like you have to do everything, but maybe there's one or two things on this list that we go through that you can put to action right away that'll move the needle, make you more money, give you happier customers, and help your sales teams thrive. That's what we all want, isn't it? So I want to put a quote up on the screen by Donald Miller. And Donald Miller's got an amazing quote that says, Customers don't buy from the companies that offer the best products and services available. Customers buy from the companies that are the easiest to do business with. And if we audit our behavior, we just talked about Amazon and Uber, I mean, whatever it is, you go down the list, you know, the companies that are easy, we're going to buy from. And it doesn't matter how good the product is, if they're hard to do business with, we won't do business with them unless we absolutely have to. And whether we like it or not, fireplaces are not a category that, we, that they have to do business with us. It's not like when they're building a house, they have to put in a furnace. They don't have to put in a fireplace. And that's where we're losing more jobs to indecision than competition. So this is the MO. We want to make it stupidly simple to do business with us. So as we jump into this today, we're going to be looking at three things specifically. Number one, we are going to cut out the noise. We'll take a deep dive on what it means to cut out the noise and break through so that customers can understand our value. Secondly, we're going to talk about reframing our messaging. In, in my opinion, there's a lot of companies that mean very well and they're running very good businesses, but their messaging's wrong. And it's actually turning consumers off and confusing them rather than showing the value that they offer. So we're going to take a deep dive on that. And number three, we're going to talk about how do we as sales leaders create tools to sell? Because everybody in this room is a sales leader and your teams are relying on you to empower them to win. So number one, if we want to dive into cutting out all of the noise, that's confusing our customers, the first thing that we have to do is we have to eliminate our insider language. Because again, if you go back to it, our brands are trying to do two things. They're trying to survive and thrive, and they're trying to conserve calories. So if you've ever gone on a, like a, a long drive, and all of a sudden you tune out, and you end up in your driveway when you weren't intending to go to your driveway, you were intending to go to the grocery store. Has that ever happened to you guys? It's because our brains tune out because they've done it so many times we start to drive with our subconscious and our brain says I've done this so many times I'm going to conserve calories and all of a sudden you end up this literally happened to me the other day I'm with my wife and I literally drove us home instead of driving to the restaurant close to our house because I just wasn't paying attention and we ended up at our house but this is the same idea and this is happening with our customers so if we want to do this if we want to break through <laughs> no she did not cook dinner I had to turn around and go to the restaurant and I looked like an idiot but this is what we have to do. We have to cut out the, the white noise. So if we want to break through, we have to realize that it's clarity that wins. Having creative ads and creative messaging doesn't work. It worked 20 years ago because we weren't bombarded with as much. We could go, oh my gosh, that's a great creative ad. Let me think about that. But that's not the way that it works now. We are being blasted with so much information. We need radical clarity if we're going to break through. And to do that, number one is we got to cut out the insider language. So uh, I want to just audit some of the terms that we might hear in our showrooms. We listed a few of them earlier. We talked about insert. What's another piece of insider language that we use? Linear? Direct vent. Direct vent. That's great. 
Catalytic, absolutely. What else? Zero clearance, thank you. What else? There's an acronym that uh, someone said earlier. BTU, yes. Someone said IPI earlier. Liner. Secondary combustion. So let's think about this. Let's see how you guys did. BTUs, was that on the list? Zero clearance fireplace. Sealed combustion. Intermittent pilot ignition system. Direct vent technology secondary combustion system, vertical termination. I mean, every single one of us in this room knows exactly what these things mean, and that's good. I'm not down on technical knowledge. We need it since we're putting a fire in people's houses on purpose. But we got to realize that we should not vomit all that on our consumers when they're standing in our showroom. They can't, they can't handle it. And, and you look at, you know, I, I pick on BTUs, and this is something that in my showrooms I say you are not allowed to use the word BTUs in the showroom. You're not allowed to. Because it's, it's honestly a meaningless term. And if we think about this, I mean, putting everybody on the spot here, does anybody know what one BTU is? A candle, yeah. a, candle a match? The ability to raise uh, one degree less water. One, one pound of water, one, one degree. Okay, it's, it's actually at sea level. At sea, thank at you. Sea level. The amount of energy required to raise one pound of water, one degree Fahrenheit at sea level. Great. You're getting 35,000 of those in your house. How does that make you feel? I mean, it is insanity that we think, I mean, BTUs only make sense in that they're relative to other products. Yeah, I get that. But, okay, 50,000 to 35,000 units of energy that can raise a pound of water, one degree, there's, there's zero reference point. So we got to figure out easier ways to talk about this stuff. I'm not saying BTUs don't matter. I'm not saying framing dimensions and specs and, and designations of fireplaces don't matter. But I am saying that your consumer doesn't need to know about it because, again, you don't have much time to convince them, is this going to help me survive and thrive? And if you start yakking about BTUs and zero clearance fireplaces, they start to get overwhelmed, they start to get confused, their brain shuts down, and they decide not to do the project. What it comes down to is this, is that every single one of us fights what Lee Lefevre calls the curse of knowledge. If you want an amazing book, Lee Lefevre's got a book that's called The Art of Explanation. And he talks about the curse of knowledge, and this is what it is. If we audit this room right now on a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to being a hearth expert, I'm guessing that everyone in this room is probably somewhere between a 9 and a 10. Bart's probably like a 12. Okay? And that's really good. I mean, like we said earlier, we're putting a fire in people's houses on purpose. <laughs> when we try to make things simple for a consumer, we can maybe bring it down from a 9 or a 10 to a 6 or a 7. Customers buy at a one or a two. So it's the companies that can speak at a one or a two that are gonna win. So going back to this, on my journey, you know, years ago I thought that I had it figured out. Yeah, BTUs doesn't make sense. So right next to our gas inserts, we keep a box, box of kitchen matches. When a customer comes in and they say, what's a BTU? We light a match and we say, that is one BTU. And the consumer goes, uh, okay. Let me see 30,000. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it, Dan. That's bringing it down to a six or a seven. It's not a one or a two. We got to think about this when it comes to our advertising, to our brochures, to the way that we write sales copy, to the way that we talk to customers. It's got to be at a one or a two or they're going to tune out. So, you know, take something like an IPI ignition system or whatever proprietary name you want to give it. I mean, IPI, intermittent pilot ignition system. 
That's really confusing. It's a great feature. But what happens most often when customers go into the showroom, I mean, I know this because I, I do a lot of secret shopping. And whenever I go into a competitor showroom, or even not a competitor in, in a different market, I'll walk into the showroom and I usually get asked two questions. I'll walk in, they'll say, hey, how you doing? Most of the time they won't ask for my name. But if they do, I'll give it to them. And they'll say, so you're looking for a fireplace. How many square feet you got? And I'll say, oh, you know, about 2,000 or so. All right, you looking for a built-in or an insert? Do, do I have the wherewithal in me to answer that question? No, but do we do this on our sales floors? So then we'll walk over to a fireplace, and usually what I'll do is I'll be like, oh, I, I think I'm looking for an insert. And they won't ask any more questions, so we'll go over and start talking about inserts and say, well, this is a 30,000 BTU direct vent fireplace. What's amazing with it is this actually uses an IPI ignition system. The old ones had a standing pilot. These new ones are IPIs. It's actually even better efficiency. What's really cool with it, too, is that the direct vent technology takes the room area and it pushes the exhaust out. And you are just going to absolutely love this. Now, right now, we have a special because normally the, the, the front upgrades are an extra $500. But for the next two weeks, you can choose any of the decorative front upgrades. They're going to be half off. What do you think about that? I mean, this, this is what happens in our showrooms. And, and literally, it's like we're, we're standing there with a shotgun and just blowing our customer's head off. They have, they have no idea how to keep up with that information. But for us, it makes sense because we're experts. We're close to it. We understand it. But that's not speaking at a one or a two. What's far better is to pick one of those features and actually explain it. Hey, Mrs. Smith, you know, I know that you mentioned your old fireplace wasted a ton on your gas bill. So old fireplaces are kind of like old furnaces. You know, they're always burning that little standing pilot light. You know that pilot light that's in your garage? Well, these new systems are awesome because they actually use a pilot on demand. And this is just like when you're watching TV, you hit pause, your show's on pause, you hit unpause, and your show goes. This pilot light's the same way. When you turn your fireplace on, it's actually going to light the pilot so that the fireplace can work safely. When you're done using it, you hit that off button on the remote, your pilot turns off completely. There is no gas being used. So you're only going to use gas when you're warming your home. This is safe, and it's going to save you a ton of money. That's starting to explain things at a one or a two. And it's so much better to do that than to just shotgun your customer with information and insider language. But we're all guilty of this because we're too close to what we do. We all fight the curse of knowledge. Now I see stunned silence. Yeah. So when does AJ Keegan switch that IPI thing to POD? What do you mean? Oh, POD. Well, it should. I mean, I think I think pilot on demand starts to make sense. It, it, it's consumer language that, that they can actually understand because we all know what on demand is because of Comcast. But the point is that we got to make bridges towards common things because we sell a product that's not common. And I'm not I'm not undervaluing that at all. That there are there's absolutely expertise that has to come with it. But we got to realize that we fight the curse of knowledge. Same thing when it comes to our advertising. Well, I'll tell you guys about this. I wasn't going to tell this story, but it's kind of funny. So one of the things, we have a seven-step sales process that we use in our showrooms. And don't get weirded out. It's not micromanagement. It's just natural flow of, of how sales goes. But part of the sales process that we use is we call it make a plan. And this comes from a company called StoryBrand, where anytime we have a customer, we're going to put together a plan for what's next. You know, first we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then you ask for the sale. And I'm talking to my team about this, and I said, okay, guys, we're going to just work on making plans today. This is about four years ago when we first started having these conversations. And I said, okay, customers walking into the showroom. They've got a broken fireplace, and they can either fix it or they can buy a new one. 
Now, I don't care which one you choose. I want you to make a three-step plan to take them to success, whether it's repairing it or whether it's buying a new one. I want three steps that if the customer follows these steps, it'll take them to success. And like my team, they were stumped. They were stumped. And finally, someone speaks up and they said, well, step one is I'm going to build rapport. I said, that's great to build rapport. But these are steps that you're telling the customer. If you do this, then you do this, then you do this, it's going to be fixed. Building rapport is not one of those steps. And he said, well, okay, I'm going to um, try to build trust so that I can assess their needs. Great, we want to do that, but that's not part of the plan. What, what we came down to, we spent like an hour on this, and what we came down to is, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, step one, we're going to come out to your house, and we're going to diagnose what's wrong with your fireplace. Step two, we're going to order the parts for you, and step three, we'll come out to put them in. It was that simple, but we were overthinking it. We were too close to what we do, and this exists at every level in our companies. We have to go to war with the curse of knowledge. Now, next up is that we need to reframe our messaging to only talk about what solves our consumers' problems. And this is a really big deal, that we have to realize that our consumers only care about solving their problems. It's all that they care about. So very often in our messaging, we start yakking about our company and how good we are. We've been in business for 30 years. We sell the best brands. We're the fireplace experts. No one builds a better fire. No one cares. Customers don't care. They don't care how long you've been in business. They don't care that your grandpa started the company. They're asking the question, can these people solve my problem? So if being in business for 30 years helps address how it solves a customer's problem, by all means, talk about it. But if it doesn't address their problem, we've got to keep our mouth shut. And if we're looking at this to, to understand how we solve customers' problems, what are some ways a customer walks into the retail showroom, how, how can we even assess what their problem is? What would be something we could do? Ask questions, absolutely. What else? If they're asking questions, what would it be good to do? Listen, Listen yes. Okay, now that you're listening, how, can, how do you retain this information? Write it, Write it down, okay. Look at this. Uncover the customer's problem by asking questions, by listening. You guys are taking the words out of my mouth. I don't even know why I'm up here. Asking questions, listening, taking notes, make observations. Don't rush into the presentation. We have to uncover the customer's problem. This should be the number one priority of any salesperson is understand what the customer's problem is. Because it's the only reason they're there to see you. And so if what is coming out of your mouth does not directly address the problem that they have, it's white noise. Their brain shut down and they tune it out. So we've got to realize this. We have to ask questions, listen, make observations, and don't rush into the presentation. Most of the time when I'm secret shopping, within 45 seconds of walking in and being greeted, I'm being shown a fireplace. Can someone understand my problem within 45 seconds to show me a fireplace? No way. How, how long does it take? 30 minutes? Yeah, I mean, even 5, 10 minutes, just basic questions. People don't do this. They, they really don't. They jump right into it. And going back to my story, most of the time I'll just nod and tell people I think I'm looking for an insert. They don't ask me any other questions. We're 45 minutes into an insert, and I'll just throw out a comment like, well, okay, so uh, we're building this into the corner for a remodel. This thing's going to work just fine. And I can just see the salesperson go, are you kidding me? And I make him go, show me something else. And we jump 45 minutes into that. The point is, uncover the customer's problem before you show them anything. When you're given the presentation, you want to make sure, too, that you're not giving too many bowling balls. I've referenced this company a couple times. I'm going to keep doing it. It comes from a company called StoryBrand out of Nashville, Tennessee. And what they talk about is every time you give a consumer a new piece of information, you are literally handing them a bowling ball. 
Now, Dan is a strong man, but if I start handing you bowling balls, how many can you hold? Right, you give them right back to me. But you think about this. I mean, like, maybe three. I'm holding three bowling balls. You hand me a fourth one, and I don't, I don't know. I might, might start to drop it. That's what's happening with customers. So going back to the example of 30,000 BTUs an hour, an IPI ignition system, and direct vent technology, you are handing them a bowling ball, handing them a bowling ball, handing them a bowling ball, and you're expecting them to keep up. They can't do it. So what we have to do is we got to decide, I've got two, maybe three bowling balls I can give this customer, and that's it. Which ones am I going to pick? Am I going to pick the IPI, the IPI bowling ball? Well, if in talking to them about their problem, it sounds like IPI is a solution, you bet I'm going to pick that one. But if they, if they come in talking about how their fireplace is ugly, it's got brass all over it from the 1990s, I better pick the bowling ball that has to do with looks and finishes and trim kits and not the direct vent technology bowling ball. We, one of the things that we do in our showrooms is we do live practice a lot. I'd highly advise doing live practice at least every other week for an hour with your teams. But in one of the, one of the practice sessions that we were doing, I was, I was talking and selling uh, insert to, to one of our salespeople. And we got done and we always give feedback and critique afterwards. And one of the team members goes, well, Tim, I noticed that you didn't explain the difference between an insert and a zero clearance fireplace to him. You just called this a fireplace and it's not. It's an insert. And I said, well... A zero clearance fireplace had nothing to do with what this customer needed. And in their mind, they were getting a fireplace. So I was selling them a fireplace. That's what we have to do. We have to decide on what are the bowling balls they can handle. If they don't need the ZC bowling ball, don't give it to them. It's much better to pick fewer and go deeper on the explanation of them. That's what's going to move the needle with your customers. So, yeah. Yep. So at first, you have to give them and you have to educate them the vent-free direct vent and the zero clearance Do you? fireplace. I have to figure out which one they're wanting. So at first, I'm giving them these three bowling balls and then taking away as you talk to them more and more. So you're able to give a bowling ball but then take it away but then give them another one as the conversation goes or not? I would say no. Now, and this is where I'd, I'd be, and you're bringing up a really good point. And, and I think it goes back to understanding the customer's problem. So... Uh, step two in our sales process is called understand their problem. So the whole time is, is talking about, hey, tell me about, your, tell me about your home. Where is this fireplace going? What are you hoping to get out of it? Is it on an exterior wall? Is it on an interior wall? Have you thought about where the venting for this fireplace is going to go? That, that we're asking a ton of questions and just listening, 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 listening. And most of the time, we can start to get answers to those things to where we can narrow it down to one or two. And so my personal take would be to spend more time on the front end doing your due diligence uncovering the problem, and most of the time you're going to start to learn that stuff. When it does come time for the presentation, if, if that is a big deal, you know, that you really don't know whether it's going to be evented or event-free, you know, if you pick that bowling ball, I would just explain it very, very carefully and realize that that's taking a huge part of the consumer's bandwidth, and you're not going to be able to explain as many other features. So if that is a bowling ball that the customer needs, by all means, give it to them. But just be very, very careful that you're not giving them too much, because otherwise they'll get overloaded. That's a really good question, though. How many bowling balls do I have in my showroom? I, I gave this presentation in Denver about a month ago, and afterwards, ironically, we went bowling. And uh, this, like, the, the salespeople, I, I was they, they came to me with like five bowling balls. And they said, all right, Tim, how many of these can you hold? Now, that's a great point. And the whole thing with that, again, is no one's perfect at this. You know, our team is still guilty sometimes, too, of giving a customer too many bowling balls, but this starts to give us language to use, where you start to say, hey, 
you know what? Maybe the customer didn't need to hear about all of this and all of this and all of this. It'd be like on a first date, you know. If I'm on a first date with someone, do I need to, to on the first date, tell them about all my relational baggage and my weird family and ex-wives and estranged children? Is that first date conversation? Yes. Dan, I'm speaking for a friend, not me. But the, the point being is that, is that there's a time and a place to have those conversations, and it's deeper in the relationship. When customers come into your showroom, it's a first date. You've got to realize that, that that's the way that you should approach it. You can, get, you can get deeper and deeper and go into more specific content as that relationship grows. So I know that I'm going long, so we're going to keep moving here. Number three, if we want to help our teams win, number one, we need to cut out the noise. We've got to be radically clear with what we sell, using clear, simple language, talking at a 1 or a 2, not a 9 or a 10. Next is that we need to reframe our messaging to only talk about what solves their problem. So again, if their problem has to do with their house being cold, don't tell them you've been in business for 30 years. It doesn't make a difference to them. If they talk about how they got stranded on a remodel project by a bad electrician, tell them you've been in business for 30 years. That, you know, all of a sudden that starts to solve their problem. But everything that comes out of your mouth should only have to do with what solves their problem. And if it doesn't, it's white noise that confuses them. So number three is that we want to create simple tools that make it easy for your team to sell. And we touched on this very, very briefly up front, but if you're running a sales team, and I would assume that most of you guys are, even if it's just one or two people, it's totally, totally fine. But if you make it easier for your team to sell, they're going to sell more. I mean, I, I think that we all know when, I, I mean, I still spend some time on the retail showroom floor just to make sure that I can stay on top of things. And, and even for me, if I'm talking to a customer and they're looking at two fireplaces and one of them I know is a ridiculous pain to get quoted out. It takes forever to get a response. There's all kinds of issues with how much the freight is and there's a million parts and pieces to it. And then there's another fireplace that's really easy to quote. Like, which one am I going to quote? The easy one. This is totally true for our teams. If you can make it easy for your teams to sell, they will sell more. And that starts with a formal sales process. In our industry, I know that process can be a dirty word. Because we're entrepreneurs, we built our companies, we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, we're not corporate. Sorry, sales process is what's needed. Because if you don't have a formal sales process, you can't guarantee that your customer experience is consistent. It means that you have to do a ton of micromanaging. Because if someone's having a bad day, who knows what's going to happen to that customer? If you have a formal sales process, you can start to standardize that customer experience and it gives you an opportunity to stop micromanaging and start coaching. So, we, like I said, we use a seven-step sales process. It is ridiculously simple. If we took 15 minutes in this room and I asked you the right questions, you would all come up with our sales process. There's nothing proprietary about it. It's simple. But every single one of you guys already has a process that's made you successful. And it's worth documenting that in common language to teach to your sales team. So we can just start to build one really quick. Customer walks in the showroom. What's step one in the sales process? Greet. Who said that? You're taking the words out of my mouth. Okay, now you've greeted the customer. What's the second step in the sales process? Ask what? Questions. Step two for us is called understand their problem. It's the exact same thing. Understand their problem. There you go. What brings you in today? The, the point with this, I'm not going to belabor it. The point is that every single one of you has a process that you use with customers. Get that on paper. Start teaching it to your sales teams. If you can give them a process to follow, it's like giving them a map. They will follow it. They really will. I, I tell my team all the time that my whole thing is I live in Portland, Oregon. So if I tell them that I want them to drive to New York City and I don't give them a map, are they set up for success? No. 
The same is true for your sales teams. Give them a map. And don't be a micromanager, but I mean, it makes sense that you should probably greet the customer first. And then it makes sense that you should probably ask questions, understand what their problem is, right? I mean, wouldn't that make sense? And once you've done that, wouldn't it make sense to show them a product that's a solution for it? I mean, you know, you're not micromanaging, but what you're doing is you're painting lines on the basketball court so everyone's playing the same game. If you don't paint lines on the court, your team is in chaos. So if you want to make it easier for them to sell, give them a sales process. Make it very basic, but give them guidelines to follow. Next up is to invest in easy pricing tools. In, in my journey where I am right now, the biggest contribution that I've made to our company is this simple, it's, it's the stupidest little Excel sheet that makes it easy to price out everything that we do. And what happened to me a number of years ago when I was building the, the department from scratch was I had a bunch of quotes to do. And I'm like, dude, reading a manufacturer's price book is like, I feel like I need a degree in biblical Greek to understand this. It's just the truth. And so if I can invest in an easier way to price things, I think I can get more quotes out. So we built an easy pricing system that prices everything out. We know our installed margins. We know our discount levels. And we can quote any fireplace in our showroom for a customer in less than five minutes without going out to the house. If you can't write up a quote in less than five minutes, you're losing money. Because it goes back to the idea of they're used to buying a dishwasher. They're used to buying a car. Why is your fireplace indifferent? Obviously, fireplaces are different, but it doesn't change the fact that that's the consumer expectation. And if we're asking questions and doing our due diligence on the front end to understand their problem, we got the information to write up an estimate. And the in-home visit then is just a confirmation of what you talked about in the showroom. And honestly, most of the time, you can get within 100 bucks in the showroom if you do it right. But invest in easy pricing tools. Make it simple for your teams to be able to price stuff out. Make it simple for them to be able to write up quotes. Because it's just, it's just basic math. If they can quote more, they're going to sell more. And a, a big pain point for us is when we actually started measuring our quote percentage. We started measuring, well, what percentage of our customers that walk in the showroom do we actually quote? And I was like, oh, we're probably at like... I don't know, probably like 70, 80%. No, like we were, we were at like 25, 30%. If you don't measure it, you don't know. But once you start measuring it, you can give them easy pricing tools, you can start to raise that up. So now we're hovering right around 80% quote rate. And that has helped us significantly. But the point is we wouldn't be able to do it unless we had easy pricing tools. So anything along those lines of pricing tools, Sales process, these are things that will make it very, very easy for your teams. And if, if you make it easy for your, for your team members, they're going to be able to make it easy for your customers. How's that sound? Easy. Easy. I'll tell you this as a leader, it's not easy. These concepts are very simple, but it's actually extremely, extremely difficult to do this. Einstein talked about how if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. And the burden that falls on us as, as sales leaders is there's a ton of complexity to what we do. A ton of it. And our job as a leader is to funnel as much of that through us as possible to where it's not as complex for our team members. Our team members' job is to take what complexity they have and hold it in and just give the customer a little bit. So I'm not saying that this is easy. This is far from it. But this is the work that we have to do if we want to connect with consumers today. Next up is that we have to give our team members a way to manage their pipeline. So whenever I go and teach sales, I always say that there's four questions a salesperson needs to be able to answer at any time of day. Otherwise, they're not a salesperson. They're just an order taker. Question number one, how many open opportunities do I have from the last three months? Question number two, of those open opportunities, which ones are my best? Because not all jobs are created equal. So we rate our jobs on an A, B, C, and D scale. If it's an F, we don't bid it. 
Uh, frankly, if it's a D, we probably shouldn't bid it, but we, we fall into some of those D jobs. But your team should be able to know how many open opportunities they have and which ones are the best because that's where they should focus their time and energy. So question number one, how many open opportunities do I have in the last three months? Question number two, which of those are my best opportunities? Question number three is how many open opportunities do I have in the last year? And question number four is what am I working on this week to engage those customers? If your team members can't answer those questions, there's tremendous opportunity for you to grow. So you want to give them a way to manage their pipeline. This could be a, just a, a spreadsheet where they log, hey, I quoted this customer on this day. They looked at this product. Here's the date that I followed up last with them. It could be a handwritten piece of paper. You could use a CRM system. It's not about the complexity of the system that you use, but it's about holding your salespeople accountable for their book of business. And what we've just found tremendous success in this, that if you, can, if you can start to pay your salespeople in a way where they make more money as they sell more, which I hope you're all doing, and you can not put a cap on it, and you can give them the opportunity to manage their book of business, they'll go to town for you. They really will, because they're going to start to look at you've given them the opportunity to make whatever kind of money they want to make. They just got to go out and sell it. As you give them tools like this to manage their pipeline, they will start to be more productive for you. So I know that we're going quickly, and you guys are going to be stuck with me for another hour here pretty soon. But in summary in this session, you know, number one, if we want to make it easy for people to buy from us, we have to cut out the noise. Remember, our brands are tuning things out every day. We're being hit with too many ads. Speak with radical clarity. In the next session, we're going to talk a lot about marketing and what those messages should be. Next is reframe your messaging. I mean, I flip through the industry magazines every month, and I just laugh hysterically at the waste of dollars that manufacturers spend only talking about themselves. I think about how much did this freaking ad cost, and you're telling me about how this fireplace has 40,000 BTUs? I'm the customer. Do you think I care? I don't care. But if an ad says, stand out from your competition, make more margin, I mean, those are things that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, like I'll, I'll pay attention to that. But we, we, try, we do this you know, generic vanilla advertising. We try to use the same ad in every single piece of, or every single media channel, and it doesn't work. We have to think about who is our customer, what's their problem, and with radical clarity, go after it. Lastly is we got to create simple tools to sell. So the truth of the matter is that as we look at this, there's more opportunity than there has ever, ever been. I, I believe that with all of my heart. Maybe some of the things we talked about today are new. And, and I hope that they are. Because if your business has been doing okay without this, I mean, it's like putting gasoline on a fire if you can start to do these things. I know this because that's just what we've experienced over the last three, four years. Now, stuff is starting to slow down. I, I think in 2020, we are going to see the economy slow down in a way that we haven't for about 10 years. But that's okay because it means there's opportunity. If you can do these things, there's business out there to be had. But you have to rethink your customer experience around simplicity and clarity. If it's not around simplicity and clarity, customers will tune you out. They're not going to buy from you. So we have to go all in on those things. The, the next resource that I want to give you is this. So I wrote an ebook a little while ago, and it's got a really non-controversial title called Three Things Your Business is Doing to Confuse Customers. <laughs> and I'm, I'm having fun with the title, and maybe your business isn't doing all three of these things, but if this class has been helpful, you can download this for free. And this is going to take a deep dive on three of the big concepts that we've talked about today and also give you questions and checklists to go through your business to be able to answer these questions and go to work on it. Because again, listening to me for an hour is not going to move the needle. But you guys taking these principles and going back and executing them with the expertise that you already have is how you win. So the way that you get this is you can go to the website itsfiretime.com slash confuse. 
That's itsfiretime.com slash confused. If you have a copy of the handout, it's right there. And you can punch in your email address and it'll get sent right to your inbox. You know, the truth of the matter is that no one should be settling for a year of mediocre results. And I know that the economy has been really good and hopefully our companies have been growing. But if we audit it, there's a lot of companies that are growing with the economy. You know, if, if you grow by 3 4% every year, great. You kept up with the manufacturer's price increase. If the economy is growing 5% on top of that, that means you should be growing 8% between the manufacturer's price increase and the economy. You know, you don't settle for that. What we can do now is we can take control of our businesses. So by going all in on these things, making it easy for our customers, simplifying our messaging, and empowering our team members to win, you guys can take control. You can stay ahead of all of your competition. Because as I go out and speak, businesses aren't doing this. Most businesses don't even follow up with their customers. So if you can start to put these things in place and start systematically thinking about what you do and centering everything around the consumer experience, you're going to win. So the mission for you today is to go out to simplify what you do around the customer experience. And if you do those things, you're going to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there is no excuse not to. Thank you, guys. Well, I hope that that conversation was super valuable for you. And I just have to say that the Midwest HPBA conference this year in Kansas City was off the hook. The dealers that were out there were locked in and hungry to make changes in their business so that they could grow even more. Now, like I said at the beginning of this episode, season two is almost over. Now, we are going to finish it with a Q&A episode. That was one of our most popular from last season. That's going to be coming up shortly. Now, before we close out here, one thing I have to mention is just how amazing it is hearing from you guys. I was in Minneapolis last week speaking at HHT's Summer Summit, and I must have been stopped 50 plus times at this event by people who were talking about how much the podcast is helping them grow themselves and and their companies in this new landscape of business. I, I just can't even say it enough. Thank you. That the reason that we're doing this podcast is so that you can take the steps you need to grow your company. And it's been amazing to talk to you firsthand and get emails from folks that are already seeing results by making it easy. Now, the last thing that I want to leave you with as we close this episode out today is ask the question, who is someone that needs this content that you work with. One of the most common things that I'm hearing from people who come across this podcast is, before I found this podcast, I thought I was alone. I didn't think there was anyone else in this industry that thought the way that I did. So if this podcast has been a blessing for you, my challenge is to find someone else who could use it and start pouring into them. None of us want to be alone, and I love the community that we are starting to build together Guys, I cannot wait to see what comes of this. There is so much more in store for you. But going out today, I want to leave you with that one question. Who is it around you that you need to start pouring into with time, energy, and valuable content? Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.